This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steubing. Latent autoimmune diabetes in adults, also known as LADA, is a lot like type 1 diabetes, where the immune system attacks the beta cells in one's pancreas, causing it to stop producing insulin. But LADA only occurs in adults, and the onset can take place over years, which can result in a misdiagnosis of type 2 diabetes during this extended honeymoon period before diet and exercise can alone no longer control one's blood sugar. Rachel was diagnosed with prediabetes at 42 years old, even though she had been practicing and teaching yoga for two decades. Once she started feeling the symptoms of high blood sugar, her lifestyle actually postponed her diagnosis of LADA for six years, and even now she only takes one shot a day. But being in such a health-conscious profession, the stigma of having diabetes brought her feelings of guilt and shame at her diagnosis. She has just written a book, Yoga for Diabetes, where she shares her story as well as a guide for practicing yoga for people with diabetes. There's a link to her crowdfunding page in the description of this episode. I talked to Rachel from her home in Byron Bay, Australia. How do you define yoga? What is yoga as you teach it? Yoga is just a word to describe oneness or wholeness. And so the yoga practices are there to remind you of that peace that you already are, that that joy that you already are, the happiness that you already are. And, And that's why we feel so good when we do yoga, because by stretching, by breathing, by bringing the mind into a continuum and focusing the mind on the breath, and it takes it completely out of its preoccupation with thoughts. And really, if we think about it, thoughts and our identification with the thoughts, our need to involve ourselves in our thoughts is what creates stress. So it could be a thought about, you know, your blood sugar reading. It could be a thought about your illness. When you pull yourself out of that, when you bring the mind into a one-pointed focus, you forget for the time that you're doing the practice that you have a disease. You You forget everything. You feel so great. And that's really what yoga is. It's that moment of understanding, I am the peace, I am the stillness, I am the bliss, because you're with yourself, and that self is yoga. When did you start doing yoga? Well, I started yoga when I was 17. I was in high school. You know, it's weird because I don't even really remember that it was yoga. I just had this really cool teacher. He was also the modern dance teacher. And we used to do some stretching. And then I didn't really get into yoga properly until I was 19. I was uh, told by my chiropractor that I needed to do some yoga because I had a bad back. I was a dancer and I was always dealing with sort of issues with my lower back. And so that's kind of when I started yoga. It was, you know, 1984 or something like that, 1985. It wasn't popular. It wasn't booming. You know, only really kind of weird people did it. And so I was, I was almost embarrassed to be in the class because I was so young and everyone took it so seriously and there was so much relaxation involved and I didn't really understand what it was all about. A few years later, I was living in this town where I live now, which is Byron Bay, and someone had said to me, oh, you should, you should really try yoga here. We have a great, you know, a great community of people who do yoga. And um, they told me about this one teacher 
And so then I went to her class and she was a couple of years older than me, but very, very inspirational. She'd been to India a lot of times. She, she really had, you know, a mastery of the physical practice and uh, she totally inspired me. And after that, I don't think I stopped. I just, that was it. I became like an absolute fanatic. So from the time I was about, I guess by then I was about 23 until now, I'm nearly 50. Um, I really haven't gone a day without yoga. So at what point do you start feeling weird and then think something's going on with my body that isn't quite the way it used to be? We had moved to New York City from Australia. We'd been living in a small country town. We'd gone into the big city and I had to work really hard. So I was teaching probably between 20 group classes a week and then teaching privates. And I was also teaching in the teacher's training. And I had this very pretty hectic lifestyle. I mean, I would wake up at five in the morning and um, get home at nine at night And at the same time, I had a family. I had two children that I was looking after, and it was quite intense. And then 9-11 happened. I was actually in Manhattan. We were in a yoga studio. We ended up leading a meditation, and we could just hear all the sirens, you know, heading down the the avenues, and it was completely shocking. I, I don't think I've ever experienced shock like that before in my life, and I literally couldn't breathe, couldn't walk, didn't know what to do that period of shock, really, it took me a long time. I'm pretty sure I had post-traumatic stress afterwards. And then um, I would say six months later, I started to feel really strange. I started to have a lot of problems with my nervous system. Um, I was hot and cold. I was not sleeping well. I felt I couldn't digest food. I, I just didn't know what was going on, and I didn't really put two and two together I just kept thinking, oh, you know, I'm just stressed out. I've done too much yoga. I'm teaching too much. I'm working too hard. And I was really, during that whole time, seeing lots of different kinds of health practitioners, seeing homeopaths, seeing regular doctors, seeing acupuncturists, taking herbs, just trying everything I could to try and get my nervous system back because I just, I felt so weird. I kept having my blood sugar tested and the results were normal. So I never went in that direction of thinking that possibly I might have some sort of diabetes. But things did progress eventually to, um, yeah, to reveal that that might be the case. But it took a long time for me to even know that that's what I had. So at the time, what did they think was wrong or what did you think was wrong? One of the things that they had said was that possibly because I had gone on a raw food diet as well. You know, I was vegan. I was on a raw food diet. I was doing so much yoga that they thought that I'd really depleted my spleen and that it was just probably just a real disturbance in the digestive system. And that was really flaring out into everything else. And there was some speculation that I was having some sort of spiritual thing going on as well. I don't want to say too much about that because you know, you're just grasping at straws, really, when, when they can't give you a, a proper diagnosis. I went to England during that time, and, and I was, you know, peeing a lot, and uh, I thought maybe I had a bladder infection. And I went into um, a clinic, and they tested, and they said, oh, you know, let's just test your blood sugar. And my blood sugar was, I mean, I can really remember the reading, you know, it was like a 5.5. Just a quick note for everyone who isn't familiar with European blood sugar numbers, which are in metric. Here in the U.S., The goal is to keep one's blood sugar between 70 and 130. In metric, that equates to being between 3.9 and 7.2. 
And she said, oh, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. So I was like, okay, I won't even think about that. And I did have my blood sugar tested regularly. I, you know, I left New York. I came back to Australia. I was having my blood sugar tested. There was no problem. And then I was seeing an acupuncturist and he kept saying to me, every time I went in there with my symptoms, he said, you know, this is really symptomatic of someone who has diabetes. And I would just say, well, you know, you've known me forever. I'd known him for a long time. You've known me forever. Surely I don't have that. He's like, no, no, it couldn't be that. But those are the symptoms, you know. So I would say from when I got back from New York, which was 2004, and when I finally got something started to not look good in the blood work, that was 2008. So at that point, I had like a really, I would say I had a collapse. I just couldn't get out of bed. I was exhausted. Every time I ate sugar, I felt really strange. I had this really sweet taste on my tongue. I wasn't peeing a great amount, but I just felt unusual when I ate. And I guess I was having reactive hypoglycemia because I would just have these incredible feelings like I was shaking and everything was dropping. And the next minute I'd feel, you know, totally wiped out and exhausted. And so my, my husband at the time, he said, you know, go to the doctor. Let's just do another blood test. And we both had blood tests. And I can remember this moment so clearly because I was sitting in the yoga, my yoga room and I'd just done my practice and my... My husband comes in and he says, well, I've been to the doctor and, you know, I've, we've had our blood tests done and, you know, my blood tests aren't good. He said, but yours are really bad. <laughs> I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, there's something wrong with your blood. And I was thinking, oh my God, you know, what is it? Am I going to die? You know, anyway, I go into the doctor and he sits me down and he says, you have diabetes. Just like that. You know, there was no kind of, no sugarcoating it. He was a GP, you know, a general practitioner. So he just said to me, you know, look, I, I, I went further. I looked at your A1C. Your A1C says, you know, is 6.8. This is, you know, this is high. And um, you're going to have to work out what to do. You're going to have to find out how to cure yourself. Because he was thinking I had type 2. Gave me a few pamphlets and said, Google diabetes. <sighs> My God, you know, so I'm sitting in the car driving home from the doctor's office. I'm just about to go to India to teach a yoga teacher training. I have three days to come to terms with the diagnosis, and I just didn't know what to do. I was in complete shock. And my husband was able to get me into an endocrinologist pretty well straight away, who was actually a friend. And he was very reassuring. And he said to me, look, we don't really know what this is. Let's not assume it's diabetes. Let's do some more testing and buy yourself a glucometer, head off to India, test yourself. Just He wasn't as worried or um, uh, confronting as the, as the GP. He was very calm. So with that, I, I just sort of went off to India and, you know, was checking my blood sugar. And it was between four and six. So I was like, oh, well, you know, it's okay. I mean, I was a little bit confused. I didn't really understand much. I wasn't re I didn't read anything. I didn't even think about it. I, I guess I basically just went into denial and um, thought, well, as long as I don't go above six, I'll be okay. You know, but things did change <laughs> as the years went by. Was that a slow change? It was very, very slow. I was able to maintain my levels really well. I did it mainly by really changing my diet. So I'd, you know, been vegan and then I was sort of no longer vegan, but still wasn't really eating any kind of, you know, animal protein. And one of the first things I did was I went back to eating, you know, fish, chicken and meat. And I went into a low glycemic diet. I started walking 
including a walking regime into my program. So I wasn't just doing yoga. I was also going for an hour walk every day. I started being a little bit more cardiovascular as well. So I was, you know, doing a bit of dancing every day. And just with all that exercise and with the change in my diet, I was able to keep myself in range. However, I did go to the doctor like, you know, a year later, and he said, look, I've done the GAD antibody test, and you are producing antibodies. They are attacking your pancreas, and it's only a matter of time. Now, I don't know why I didn't hear what he'd said, but I really didn't hear it. And I remember thinking, but surely I can rejuvenate the cells in my pancreas. And he just looked at me and sort of shook his head. And I just thought, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a yogi. I've done yoga since I was, you know, really young. Surely I can fix this. Uh, So that was the point where I missed the fact that I was a type 1 diabetic. It totally went over my head. Then I went into this whole thing about you know, seeing everybody I could see to try and fix myself. And everyone kept saying, oh, you're not diabetic. You don't look diabetic. Your symptoms aren't diabetic. So it was just this period of six years where I just refused to acknowledge that I was sick. What happens with type 1 is not much you can do about it. It just starts to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And so as my levels got higher and higher and higher, I just went more and more into denial. And I would look at that number and I'd say, surely tomorrow it will come down. Surely tomorrow it will come down. And I would just walk up hills more and I would restrict my diet more. And I just, it was like banging my head against a wall. And finally something had to give, you know. <laughs> what happened when that gave in? Well, I think it really had to do with my partner you know, my relationship ended. I'd, I'd been traveling for five years. I had met this wonderful new man and very, very supportive. And he just couldn't take it anymore. And he said to me, look, you know, we've tried everything. We've been to the Ayurvedic doctor. We've been to the herbs and spices doctor. We've seen this guy and that guy. And he said, I'm marching you into the endocrinologist and you're sitting down and we're telling him what the levels are and we're, we're going to see what he has to say. The other thing that had happened was I'd started to get neuropathy in my hands and my feet. And again, I kept thinking, oh, it's, you know, just B12 deficiency or I've had too much zinc. I kept making up all these reasons why it wasn't working. Um, I wasn't getting any better. But the neurologist had also said to me, now, what's your A1C? And I didn't really know at the time, but I knew it would be high. I said, oh, I think, you know, I think it's kind of high. And he said, well... If you want to reverse this, you better get your blood sugar levels down. You better, you know, think, consider going on insulin. And so that was how I, you know, greeted the endocrinologist. And my A1C by then was 10.7. While once blood sugar shows the concentration of glucose in your blood the moment you test it, an HbA1c, which is just called A1c for short, is an average of one's blood sugar over the previous three months. People without diabetes have an A1c under 6%. And the goal for people with diabetes is to keep their A1C below 7% to avoid long-term complications. You know, I was still feeling, okay, this is a strange thing. Is I had still had a lot of energy. I wasn't sort of peeing that much, in my opinion. I wasn't thirsty. You know, I didn't have any of those typical symptoms. But the endocrinologist just looked, took one look at me and, you know, said to me, look, we're not going to try anything else. You're a type 1 
Lada diabetic, and we're going to start you on long-acting insulin as soon as possible. And that was the point where I think it really hit me. I mean, I was crying. The endocrinologist was crying. We were all crying because, you know, it had been six years, and we'd been sort of working and working and working to try and keep that honeymoon phase going. I mean, I didn't know it was a honeymoon phase. I, I didn't really understand anything about diabetes. So, you know, at that point where he gave me the diagnosis – that was the point where I really let go and I just let go of thinking that I could cure myself. I let go of thinking that it was my fault, that there's something I could have done different. And it was just a huge relief. It was amazing. I felt like I was enlightened, you know? (laughs) After the break, we talk about the physical and mental challenges Rachel faced as a yoga instructor after her diagnosis. And she explains the motivation for writing her new book. This past weekend, I ran my very first marathon. It went great, just so you know. So great, in fact, that a few other runners with type 1 and I have started a brand new organization to help raise awareness of type 1 diabetes through running, which we've named Type 1 Run. We hope to help people tackle the challenges of running with type 1, as well as foster a community of runners who want to show the world what type 1 really looks like. If you want to get involved, or even be a leader in your city, you can find us on Facebook or type1run.com. Plus, we have really cool t-shirts. Can you describe the sort of internal conflict up to this point where... You know, on one hand, you have doctors telling you, you know, this is the medication you need to take to feel better, but you didn't want to do that. You know, when I was at the point where I had to go on insulin, there was no longer any conflict. You know, so I did completely just say, okay, this is, I have to do this. Otherwise, you know, there's no way out. So the resistance kind of came before because I had fear. I was uneducated. I didn't understand actually what insulin does. I thought I couldn't have a life if I was on insulin. I thought, you know, I will, you know, I travel all over the world. I teach yoga internationally. I was ashamed. I thought that people would think that, you know, I had given up. There was a, a sense of a fear around, you know, the fact that, you know, insulin puts on weight and, you know, like I, I like to stay really fit and healthy. And what if I couldn't control my weight if I was on insulin? There were just so many things that were kind of standing in my way. But what I weighed up at that point where the doctor said to me, you know, you've got to go on insulin. This is a life or death situation. I thought, what do I want more? Do I care about all those things or do I want to be healthy? And obviously wanting to be healthy outweighed my fears, my concerns, my shame, my uh, you know, the way I would be perceived in, as a, you know, in my career and all that, all that just dropped away. And um, again, that's why I say I felt so enlightened. I felt so free because those things had really held me back. You know, the, the way I would appear in the world or how I would be seen, all that kind of kept me from hearing and accepting the truth about what was really going on. 
And of course, the moment I started insulin, I became informed as well. I started reading, I started informing myself, I started connecting with people. And I just realized, oh my God, this is just going to make my life so much better. And it definitely has. Has there ever been a point in your career that you have felt like having type 1 diabetes has gotten in the way at all? I would have to say yes, definitely. I, I, I want to be really honest here. I, I mean, I think the main thing is that, you know, there'll be a time where I'm, I have scheduled a class and I haven't thought, oh my God, I've got to take my shot at 9 p.m., but I'm actually teaching till 10 p.m. How's that going to work? And it's too late and I've, you know, it's some gig that's happening in, you know, in Switzerland and I've planned it six months in advance and everyone's booked in and I can't really change it. So, you know, in, in that sense, it's, you know, I've got to really think about how that's all going to work. Usually, you know, just take my needle, head up to the, you know, bathroom and give myself the shot in between and come back down and leave everybody in a posture. Um, that's happened. I think the other thing is a period would go by, the class would be too long, my blood sugar would drop, I'd have to eat, I'd be sitting there, you know, leading them through a relaxation while munching on a cracker, kind of embarrassing. The big thing is like, I feel like being a yoga teacher, I used to think, you know, you have to appear a certain way. I keep saying that, you know, appearances, but, you know, people expect you to be well and healthy. But because everyone knew me as a very healthy, um, committed and, um, you know, dedicated practitioner, and then all of a sudden I'm sharing, well, I'm, I'm diabetic, and then I'm saying, well, actually it's type 1, people are just shocked. You know, how did that happen to you? Why did that happen? You're so healthy. You're so fit. How could this happen? And then I have to go into the whole explanation of the difference between type one and type two. And, you know, people's eyes start rolling back in their heads. You know, it's too much information. And they just think, oh, okay, poor Rachel, you know, and you don't really want that either. So all those things kind of come up with the sort of um, career that I have. So it sort of seems like, you know, you were worried that telling people you had type 1 diabetes, it almost reflected poorly on your ability as a yoga instructor. People don't understand what type 1 is. It makes it seem like you're living this unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. And then why should they trust you as their yoga teacher if you can't take care of yourself? Well, that was definitely the biggest thing that I had to deal with emotionally on every level after my, you know, even after the first you know, diagnosis before I knew it was definitely type one, you know, that's what I cried about. That's what I felt guilty about. That's what I felt ashamed about. That's what I blame myself for. Those were the, you know, really deep things that came up. I think that's the biggest obstacle, you know, that I've had to overcome really on a personal level. I think, you know, I can really inspire others who are diabetic to take up yoga, I, I've seen the results with the people that I've worked with who have diabetes, how much it helps control blood sugars, improve sleep, improve mood, does so many things. But that wasn't really what happened for me. And so that's kind of what I've worked inside myself to, to come to terms with is that it doesn't matter how much yoga I do, it's not going to change the situation. But it will help me to manage my stress associated with the situation. And that's, you know, what I've come to. And I've stopped apologizing. And now it's all about advocacy and information and, you know, saying this is what happened to me and I'm okay about it. And um, I still want to share what I have to offer. You're working on crowdfunding a book that you're writing, Yoga for Diabetes. 
Why did you decide to write this book? It actually started because I said to a friend of mine, you know, I'd really like to create a program for teachers to teach them how to work with people who have diabetes because I think that, you know, people who have diabetes, they just go to regular classes and there's nobody really that specializes in that or would understand their unique needs. And my friend said to me, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you want to write a book rather than training teachers why don't you just go directly to the people who have diabetes and share what you have with them? It can be a coffee table book. It'll be beautiful. You can have photos. You can teach, you know, give sequences. You can explain everything that you know. So that was sort of the seed. And then listening to other people's stories has helped me so much except my diagnosis. So I thought, well, if I share my personal story and then from there go into my whole understanding of yoga and also Ayurveda, which is the sister science of yoga, and bringing that all together with yoga sequences and breathing techniques and meditation techniques, so part personal story, part how-to guide, that will really help people. So that's how the idea came about. If the new you could see the old you back in New York, you know, starting to feel weird, not sure what's going on, what would you tell yourself? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid and go and get every test you could possibly get. You know, get your A1C tested, you know, get informed, find out what's going on. Yes, of course, you know, it's great to have alternative health sources. Um, we need it. It's, it's really important. It's a great backup. But we have modern medical science, and it can provide answers and get those answers. And that was the big thing. I was so afraid of uh, modern medicine. My mother died when I was very young. She, was, um, she had a brain tumor. She was operated on, and she died from complications from the anesthetic. I had this you know, aversion to medicine. And I was afraid for any test or any pill or anything. I would try and reassure myself and say, look, you know, modern medicine is amazing. Give it a go. Try it. Find out and trust. Beta Cell is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing. And our theme music is by Purple Glitter. You can find Beta Cell on Twitter and Facebook at betacellpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to Beta Cell on iTunes and Stitcher to get new episodes delivered automatically to you. If you like Beta Cell, please leave a review on iTunes because it really helps other people find the show. Rachel's book, Yoga for Diabetes, is in its very last days of crowdfunding. Please help her reach her goal so we can all benefit from her experience and knowledge. There's a link to her campaign in the episode description and on our Facebook page. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell. Beta Cell.